Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. I want to thank all of you for the continued uh, and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, it really means a lot to me, so thank you so much and uh, for tuning into this episode. Uh, big shout out to all our friends of the podcast. We got the Vegas Squares podcast down in Vegas. Sports talk uh, by sports fans for sports fans. Uh, great podcast. Guested on the show. Uh, can't say enough good things about them. Down in Fayetteville, Georgia, we got Zero Gravity Games. Please go check them out uh, for any used, rare, and vintage gaming needs you might have. Uh, up here in Winnipeg, we've got Selfix Doctors located at 666 St. James Street. Uh, please visit them uh, for any cell phone, tablet, and screen repair needs you might have. Last but not least, uh, let's get a big shout out there to Skin Dimensions, uh, located here in Winnipeg on Corden Avenue. Uh, please visit them for any tattooing and piercing needs you might have. All right. Uh, so, NHL playoffs are coming up. Jets uh, won last night, which was good. Um, it was getting a little uh, too close for comfort there with. Uh, Nashville, but I'm glad they put some distance between uh, themselves and Nashville. Cause now I think they're going uh, up three points um, going in to this uh, last little bit here of the season. Uh, so they'll be up three points with a game in hand, I believe, um, after last night's uh, results. So I'm just waiting for that to load. Uh, let's get in that. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about today uh, regarding the Jets are some interesting things to look at two things they've done um, and things kind of going into next season and uh, things that could shape up depending on the playoffs. Last year, the Jets made a huge trade deadline acquisition uh, in getting Paul Stasny. It uh, electrified that line eight Ehlers line. And if you, if everybody remembers it uh, lit such a huge fire under line ass, he almost um, many people thought he might catch Ovechkin or even surpass Ovechkin for the goals last year. Um, he didn't, but a lot of people thought he would, and it was looking like it. Uh, I remember talking to token Tony of, uh, Vegas squares and, uh, him and I were chatting about exactly that, who we thought was going to get, uh, the goal scoring title last year. And I, I actually think Liney is because his line mates do so much to just free him up and he shoots. Uh, Ovechkin is a little more than just line up and shoot, whether people realize it or not, or want to give him the credit or not. Um, he has a physical presence out there. He does set up the play. Um, he is actually a fairly good passer, too. Um, you don't get 1,200 career points without being good at all aspects of the game. I hate to tell people that. Um, his defensive game isn't the greatest. Because <laughs> I was able to just check uh, right out uh, mid-play. But regardless, um, you don't uh, do what Ovechkin has done um, by not having some degree of um, talent in every aspect of the game. He um so with that being said, Line A I think was free to um, try and score goals, do what he does best. Um, I've always long said a big thing or my biggest knock of Patrick Line A is his strength, his skating. I thought his skating has to be way 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 better. Uh, he's just not a very strong skater. He's not a very smooth skater. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a very confident skater. And when you watch his skating technique and same, it, it, it does leave a lot to be desired. Uh, so I think that's something he needs to work on his um, play away from the puck. 
um, his confidence with the puck. Um, and it's funny because I've seen him in person. He's actually a fairly big, um, solid guy already. Um, I think he, you know, could fill out a little bit in the shoulders and whatnot. And I think he'll just add some strength in the right places over the next few years. But uh, with that being said, he's actually uh, a really solid um, guy already um, at his young age. And uh, he'd already come over kind of NHL size ready-ish. Um, to an extent. And it takes um, players a few years, some of them, to really develop. I mean, look at Shifley. That's a great example of a guy that took a few years to come into their own. Um, so you've seen that. Even um, Nikita Kucherov now, uh, people think, you know, where did he come from? He's only 25, but he's still 25. He had a number of years there before he got to where he's at now. And that's that... Um, just that no substitute for hard work uh, and it just goes to show that value of hard work and keep growing and keep pushing yourself uh, I can't get stated enough and I think that's a great example or those are two great examples of putting in the work seeing an end game seeing an end goal and going towards it uh, no different than kind of what I'm trying to do with my kind of fitness um, kick right now is uh, just take better control of my life um, physically and uh, health-wise um, you know, as I gotten into my 30s, I got very complacent and that just wasn't me. And I think I was very discontent with the person I was looking at in the mirror, if I'm being honest. I think a big part of that is I didn't recognize myself anymore. I didn't feel or I didn't feel like this was who I was my entire life. And uh, so really taking control back and doing it kind of the right way, going back through those steps of developing baselines, developing fundamentals and just, you know, to really push myself and my body as best I can as I, I do feel um, there's still a lot of um, good athletic years left in me. Uh, so I do have some crazy ambitions, but we'll see how they uh, materialize. But anyway, uh, long story short, just been a really fun, um, amazing, amazing journey. And it's part of that, you know, you just have to set goals. You have to know what the end game is. I mean, it's very easy to not want to go through something when you know you're not going to see a result in a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, two months. You know, it takes time, it ta but you have to stick with it. Um, great resource for that. If anybody's looking, is uh, my buddy over um, Mitch Calvert at Mitch Calvert Fitness. Uh, check him out. Um, but yeah, and so you see that with some players. And I think line A still needs to evolve a little bit and will do that with time. I think if given the chance and the structure and the kind of the guidance and tutelage to do it he really could uh which will be something interesting to see um how they try to push that and make that and help have that materialize but um the Stasny acquisition was a huge one as it now kind of really retooled their roster um you now having a guy like brian little not have to play top six minutes um, Brian Little's a great third line centerman, in my opinion. I think that's kind of, he's that great third line gritty guy. I mean, he's a solid looking dude. Um, and he grinds, he's played with, um, talent. he's played on that number one line before he's played with guys like Wheeler. It just is what it is. And I think, you know, in any sport and especially a sport like hockey, your role, especially as a forward kind of evolves. And that's, that's what makes kind of playing in the NHL and being a top um, player for so long, um, so difficult. When you see these guys that are doing it for 12, 13, 14, 15 years, you really have to admire uh, the longevity and being able to do that. Uh, and you're even seeing now guys that I'm like, wow, just see, it seemed like just yesterday I was watching them enter the league are closer to retirement than they are to the start of their careers. Uh, like, lest we forget, Sid the Kid is no longer a kid. 
Um, he's in his 30s. Ovechkin is well into his 30s. You know, things like that people are forgetting. Um, I mean, a guy like uh, Char just celebrated his 72nd birthday yesterday. Like, how crazy is that? You know, but anyway, I digress um, from what I was saying. So, yeah, so we had the um, Stasny uh, trade last year. This year, the big trade that the Jets were rumored to be going after was Mark Stone, who I believe is a, uh, a local Winnipegger. Um, I think that was his thing. So, coffee break there. But having Stone come back around... Uh, would have been nice. Um, I mean, that's the ultimate kind of growing up in Canada. And I mean, even now in the States, now hockey has taken off so much. You know, growing up, playing in your hometown and getting drafted or whatever, or somehow making it to your hometown, especially if your hometown's good. Um, I mean, it's just all part of the dream that you think of as a kid, right? Or playing for your favorite team. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, great example of not working out was Matt Duchesne in Colorado. Uh, always said that was his favorite team growing up. They had the same thing, the pictures of him as a kid with the Colorado jerseys on. I mean, we saw how that ended there. Um, which is actually funny. If they don't implode Colorado, maybe he takes a discount and goes back to Colorado. Who knows? But anyway, uh, this year the biggest, the big deal that the Jets made, and I think last year too, part of it, uh, which I wanted to get to, is they've given away the first their first round pick. Um, and in doing so, they got Kevin Hayes in return from the New York Rangers, who now, I believe, plays on that second-line center role. Um, not sure who's on his line. I think it's uh, I think he probably plays with Connor and Ehlers. I think it's uh, Shifley, Line, Wheeler, um, Hayes, uh, Connor, and Ehlers. I like both those lines. I think those are great lines. Um, but they, they gave away um, Brendan Lemieux, their uh, first-round pick, and... Um, yeah, got Kevin Hayes back. Now, Kevin Hayes, I hadn't heard much about him. I think he was making a splash this season. I think he's, as I think he was the Rangers' leading point getter and goal scorer before the trade. Um, might even be, and I think he has a pending uh, unrestricted free agent. So that was kind of the big thing. He's one of those you know trade bait watches. But they weren't going after Hayes. They were going. Uh, the rumor was they were going after Stone. I thought they could make the Stone deal happen. Um, Vegas was the ones that got that done. But nonetheless, there was some weird, uh, or there was a lot of other names going around. Could they go after Panarin? Could they get a Wayne Simmons? Um, but, I mean, it wasn't until I think even the day of or even the night before where I started to hear this Kevin Hayes talk. So I thought, you know what, this new kind of puzzle in the piece might be the one that they end up getting. They get him. Give away Brendan Lemieux in their first overall and their first round pick. When you're getting rid of a first round pick for a particular player like this... You're doing a couple of things as an organization and you're taking a bit of a gamble and I can understand it as a poker player. So I'm going to go through my interpretation of the risk and hopefully this kind of breaks down this trade and then we can go into some of my thoughts uh, through the rest of the episode. But Winnipeg is gambling on their position. They are assuming they are going, and at the time, why not, that they were going to be one of the top two teams in the Central, if not the top team. That series against Nashville last year kicked their ass even though they won it it exhausts them and they had nothing left um and got very badly outworked by vegas um as i think they lost five um four like they won the first one they lost in five but i think it was four straight losses like they won game one and then vegas won the next four so not a good showing not a good showing if you're winnipeg and i think they'd have felt okay we need to retool with the current lineup also everybody's now another year older 
um, another year under their belt, another year ready for the grind. And I think Winnipeg's now at that age, um, for most of their players at their core, their experience level, their hockey ages, that this could be their year. And this is that time when they are entering that window of true contendership, where the skill will match the experience, will match the grit, will match the desire, all of these things. And going after someone like Kevin Hayes, I mean, is an upgrade in the roster. I think he is a better centerman than uh, Brian Little. Not a cut up. As I said, Brian Little just, I think, fits better in a different role in the team. So you got Kevin Hayes. You gave away Brendan Lemieux, who kind of was struggling to find his identity a little bit with the Jets, I think. I think that was a big part of the Jets willing to part ways with Lemieux. Um, he's a fast player, a skilled player, a gritty player, but they just... I. I just don't think there was a match anymore in, um, in the system for him, which was sad because he's not that type of player I'm overly keen to let go of because of those characteristics I brought. He's a great skater, has skill, has grit, has tenacity, and he's a fairly big kid. I think he was 6'2", 270 pounds. Like, he's a solid kid, taken after his dad, Claude Lemieux, who I grew up watching. So, I mean, maybe there was sentimental uh, value there, but uh, nostalgia, but... Regardless, I got a chance to see him play with the Moose for a number of years and was super happy when he was with the Moose. Sad this season that he was up with the Jets, but proud at the same time and happy for him. And he just couldn't find his, his stride with the Jets. And I think it's not a knock on his skill. You know, it's just he wasn't a fit anymore. And I get it. You have to sometimes let players go that you don't want to. But I think they made the decision as to who could they lose from this roster and whoever they gain, A, make the roster better, and B, losing the player might even free up room. I think Lemieux was the best fit. They weren't gonna, they weren't prepared to lose Roslovic um, yet. Appleton got demoted in the move. I don't think. I think they weren't quite ready to let go of Brian Little yet because of that role they can shift him into. So, I mean, overall, I think now he plays on a very scary line of him, Lowry, and um, Perot. And so that's a scary grinding, you know, t forced turnovers kind of line right there. Uh, so anyway, when you make these changes to your roster, you're assuming a few things. A, your, your position, which we just discussed in great detail. And what you are potentially giving up. So we've talked about the Lemieux aspect of it. I think Hayes, yeah, is a better fit today than Lemieux is today and possibly tomorrow. Also taking it at what will you give up in the draft? Winnipeg wants to replicate the success last year. So, dra so they want to be drafting in the last four. When you're drafting the last four, it's very hard to steal those top, top, top prospects. You're looking for value players. You're looking for those players that you're like, there could be something there. Um, the days of being able to find European treasures is gone because now everybody drafts Europeans. But Detroit made a, you know, built a dynasty around everybody else being afraid to draft Europeans, and they did it. Um, and that's how they were able to get like Pavel Datsuk in the seventh round or something like that, and Henrik Zetterberg in like the fourth. Um, it's those days are kind of done. So what you're hoping to do is build a player that either becomes that true value player, they've grounded up, they've learned, they're a smart player, they found a role, and boom, you found treasure, you found gold out of nothing. And that's basically what you can kind of hope for. That's the best you can hope for, or an end of each round kind of pick. 
um, that maybe learns the system, can grind it out, put some asses in seats in the AHL. I don't know. It's tough to draft late and build successful teams. Um, as we've seen with Chicago right now, I mean, Chicago's going on a bit of a tear right now. And maybe those guys are trying to remind everybody, like, hey, we're not dead. <laughs> like, you guys are talking about us like we're all these old men and retired. But lest we forget, Taves and Kane are both younger uh, than Crosby and Ovechkin. So, you know, maybe it is um, Chicago's kind of way of sneaking in and they become a scary team. They have won three cups with that core, essentially. Um, you know, and then you have guys like, uh, San Jose. <coughs> I mean, they're a scary team too, but moving away from the jet, uh, getting away from the points here, try those late round picks today's day and age of finding a hidden pick, unless it's a goalie. I mean, that's maybe where you find are going to get the most value is finding a goalie that. Someone might have been, you know, gambling on getting in the second round. Now you can steal them in the first. So there you go. So there you go. Problem solved. That's what I do. I solve problems. Other than that, it's, you know, you have to be thinking in the next two years is what I'm giving up going to be better than what I'm getting in return. When you're drafting that late, the answer, I think, most times than not, is no. I think you are getting something better back. Um, getting a roster player that can immediately bolster your roster um, is, a, is always better if you're drafting late. If you're, on a, if you're a Fritz team, like if you're just on the fringe, um, if you're just one of those fringe, Fritz fringe teams, uh, then... I don't know if I like that gamble of giving away a first round pick unless you're getting a generational player and you're going to re-sign them. They have some term maybe. I don't know. I, I just, I don't like that gamble. So if you're a fringe team where you're going to be drafting in the middle of the round, maybe, yeah, you're like, okay, whatever. I'm drafting mid-range. But I think if you're going to get a top tier team and, and your schedule doesn't look favorable, I think you almost have to do what St. Louis did last year and really break that down for themselves. And I mean, it's sad for management to give up on its players. Like that was basically what they're doing in getting rid of Stasny. But sometimes you just got to make those tough decisions and say, you know what? I don't know if if, if we have it this year. Um, and I mean, now St. Louis is right there in a playoff in the playoff picture. So yeah, they're third in the Central uh, with points. Uh, yeah, so they're not even tied. They're two points clear of Dallas. Uh, same amount of games left. I mean, again, that goalie has been the story there. So I think the Jets overall, when you break down that trade, do um, become better. Uh, I think it was sad seeing Lemieux, but I've gotten over it. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm doing this episode now. And I think going in, I don't know if they've retooled enough, but they are better going into the playoffs now than they were pre-trade deadline. So that's good news. The bad news is you have to look at who you're going to have to run into and what they've done. Now, if they project, I think, yeah, so if they project a second-round meeting with Nashville, Nashville really got a quiet uh, gem there in Wayne Simmons. I think Wayne Simmons is a hell of a player. Um, Skill-wise, he's got some grit. He's got some size. Um, he adds a whole new dimension there in Nashville. He's a great fit. Um, and I think is a step up on Kevin Hayes. So I think Nashville, who's their first obstacle they're going to have to look to get, um, 
got better than them. With that being said, I think it's still a winnable series for um, for the Jets. It's just, it, it is going to be tougher. And when you look at the retooling, the Jets needed to do something. When Nashville landed Simmons, the Jets needed something. Uh, I think they brought in someone else too, maybe. I don't know. But the big one was Hayes. Uh, so, okay. I think the Jets can do that one. Now you have to look at the rest of the conference. And Colorado stayed put because I mean they, I you know they're like whatever we don't we may or may not make it. Um, it doesn't look like they will. Chicago didn't make any changes, but I mean, oh yeah, I guess Chicago is pretty much out now. Yeah, they're done. Oh yeah, no Chicago. Yay. Who? Never mind. They're right behind Arizona. I forgot that. Wow. Um, okay, so yeah, it is going to come down a little bit to the wire there. Um, for that second wild card spot. Okay, um, but nonetheless, the big ones I was, was going to talk about are Calgary, San Jose, and Vegas. If they play Calgary, I think they have a distinct edge in goaltending. I think they can grind down what might be a smaller um, core that in Calgary than for the Jets. I think they could um, grind down and work down the Flames there. I could also... Um, see them having a, a distinct advantage in net. I think Hellebuck and Brassois are better than Smith and Riddick. So I think that's a fairly winnable one. I think when you look at San Jose, it's an experience thing if they play each other. San Jose seems to play their best against Winnipeg and seems to just have Winnipeg's number. Uh, last number of times over the last number of seasons I've seen to see, uh, I've seen San Jose play Winnipeg. They always seem to win. Um, so I think it's, they kind of have Winnipeg's number. So if you're Winnipeg, there's a psychological hump there. Maybe they can draw inspiration from, uh, Washington and see how Washington got over their hump with, um, Pittsburgh. Um, and then Toronto can take a lesson from Winnipeg. Uh, I think it's a psychological thing because I think Winnipeg's younger, they're faster, they've got the grit, they've got everything required to win. I think it's just a psychological thing. If, if Winnipeg can get over that hurdle, I see them getting over San Jose. I also now have to wonder about Vegas. And Vegas, as I said, has quietly, in my opinion, become the favorite to win the Western Conference. They've stacked up their team. Yeah, they lost James Neal. I think bringing in uh, Pacioretty, Stasny, and Stone uh, more than make up for it. Uh, that's a team that definitely got better. Um, as even time went on, uh, they got better. Uh, and they're now gluing together. Everybody seems healthy other than now Marc-Andre Fleury. So they're going to need Malcolm Subban to really step it up, uh, which scares me. Uh, I, I I hope he materializes in Vegas. I like Subban. I just I, I, I don't know if he will. But uh, regardless, uh, I think uh, PK's little brother is doing just fine in Vegas. He's learning under a great goalie in Marc-Andre Fleury as well. I think we can't take anything away from that. So with that being, with all that being said, I think they're stacked. I think Vegas quietly gets through this Western Conference and is back in the Cup Final. I don't even think my uh, Jets have a shot. I think Vegas, their work ethic, their strategies, their top players might just be a little too much for the Jets. I think the only advantage the Jets might have is goaltending, maybe some depth. But again, the Vegas team's deep. I just, I think it's a winnable matchup very easily for the um for the knights 
And I think the acquisition, and I think that's a danger there. And that's when you talk about those differentials. Not getting stone was one thing for the Jets, but Vegas getting stone was a double hurt. And I don't know if the Jets did enough. If they had gotten both Hayes and Simmons, okay, maybe, yeah, now all of a sudden they've, you know, made up for that difference. But I think there's such a huge jump, them getting stone, uh, and Vegas getting stone, them not getting stone, them not getting uh, Simmons, and kind of only getting Hayes. Not a cut-up, but Kevin Hayes is a great player. Uh, I saw him score two goals, I think, last time I was actually at a Jet game. So that's kind of cool. Um, But other than that, yeah, I think Vegas gets through the West. And I think, though, that point isn't a psychological thing. It's just one team is just better than the other. Um, and as I've said before, I think that when it comes to psychological hurdles, the biggest one is Toronto. I think Toronto not getting past Boston is a disaster. Uh, as Nick told me, as my buddy Nick told me, why shouldn't Toronto be the favorite? And why shouldn't they get past Boston? It's kind of like how I view the Jets and San Jose potentially meeting up. Why shouldn't the Jets beat San Jose? You know, why shouldn't they get past San Jose? So I, uh, I do think uh, when you look at that um, situation there, I think the Jets have done some of the right moves, but I think they ultimately meet the same fate this year as they did last year. So tough. I would like to see it. And as I said, I think it is a team that could do it. It's just I don't know if they can get past Vegas. I think they've done what they can, and we'll just see how the cards fall there. Um, <clears throat> the other big thing, though, is... Provide they get out of the West, are they good enough to beat those top teams in the East? I give an edge, even if Toronto somehow gets through the East, fine. I think Toronto, I think Washington, I think Pittsburgh, I think the big bad Bruins, I think uh, Tampa Bay slaughters us. I don't know. Again, I think the Cup goes back to the East again this year, and then it's four straight Stanley Cups for the Eastern Conference. Um... Yeah, I think that's a big prediction there. I think that's kind of there. At least the Jets aren't the biggest losers, though, of the trade deadline. I think that distinction firmly and wholeheartedly goes to none other than uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Pardon me, I'm having some water. I do believe that distinction has to go to the Columbus Blue Jackets. They are... um, they took a huge gamble with ultimately little to no um, payoff, which is very concerning. So as I've long said with Columbus, fine. Let's look at the fact of who they can beat, all of that. As I said, I don't see them getting out of the first round of the playoffs. They literally gave it all away to go all in. And I gave poker analogy after, you know, everything it was just they played the best cards. They they played their cards as best they could, and the cards kind of played themselves. It was just a shitty position. I think that's kind of the best way to look at it. When they didn't, since they aren't winning the division, it was a bad all in. And sometimes all in is about position, as there is an expression book where the, the cards played themselves. This was just a case of the cards played themselves. It's just they paid a lot of money to have these cards play the way they did. And I think that's where, 
you know, that's probably where my poker playing would make me a great general manager in the NHL. Um, if Vegas is hiring, uh, I am interested. Um, anyway, the um, idea of when to get those chips in, what, you know, do you wait for a better opportunity? And you're playing over a larger spectrum and you're playing it over years versus minutes or days um, or hours. But it's the same general um, premise. And the Columbus Blue Jackets, I think Kimo Kikalina was in a very, is his name, I think that's his name, um, got himself in a very difficult position. And again, the cards, everything played themselves. He got it all in. I think it's just a matter of getting it all in bad. I think if the team gives him another chance, okay. It's hard though. Because what, if everybody walks... You know, the big four, Dezingle, Duchesne, Panarin, and Bobrovsky, if they all leave town, it's a rebuild. Whether they want to admit it or not, it's a rebuild. Um, I think, who is it? Matt Calvert might be, um, at that point, their best player. Boone Jenner, I think, is still there. I think Boone Jenner is still there. You're rebuilding around those guys. Those guys might not even want to stick the, uh, stick around at all. So I don't know what the fuck you do if you're um, Columbus because it's a very, very, very scary uh, predicament, and I don't know if these are the guys if they want to play in Columbus either. Like that's kind of the weird thing that I think often we forget, um, or gentlemen, maybe they forget. I don't know, or maybe it's something I'm just think I'm super smart for talking about it. But is that desire of the desirability? There's so many things that go into the price of a player. And the desirability of where you're playing is huge. I have to imagine that's huge. And I think that's why you're willing to, you're more likely to get a player taking a discount to play for the Florida Panthers than you are the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Tampa Bay would have an easier time, I think, keeping its players versus Columbus, versus a lot of other teams, uh, versus Vancouver. So when you get kind of out of that, it's hard to imagine Columbus is going to pull together a deal that entices everybody to stay. They're all going to have to take discounts, all of them, to make it work. Because how do you go to the other three and say, this guy has to get you know get their fair share, and you guys are all taking a bigger discount? No, 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 no. It's also hard when Bobrovsky's been a few years away um, from getting a Vezina Trophy or a Vezina Trophy nomination. Now, granted, he did get one just a few years ago. Um, but now that'll be three trophies ago, one, two, three, four trophies ago, um, provide someone else gets it this year. Cause last year was uh Pecorine before that was Holtby. This should be someone new. So yeah, three champions since he won a Vezina trophy. Uh, that was his big thing was him stealing the Vezina. If he's not even doing that anymore, how do you justify him? How do you justify Panarin? A lot of these things. Columbus ultimately by getting in their chips bad and they sadly did it's a bit of a bad beat and as i said the cards played themselves you you played they played it the best they could you were losing the guys anyway so you're either throwing in kicking in the towel you know throwing in the towel and saying all right fuck it we're done they trade away panarin they trade away bobrovsky i think either way the agents for all the players kind of said to management like look this play, either way that this plays out, you're the ones that are going to fucking lose here. Um, and I mean, I think that's going to be sadly the case. And I, and I feel bad for Columbus going into next season. 
uh, just, you know, it is what it is, but it, it sucks to have to go through such a drastic rebuild. Um, Vancouver's lucky because they got Elias Peterson, who's turned out to be a stud, but I mean, they were kind of thrown, you know, a big, you know, wrench when they didn't upgrade after their cup appearance and lost to Boston. They felt they didn't, there was nothing that they needed to change to be the best team in the Western Conference anymore, uh, which was so far from the truth because I believe it was uh, LA that went on to win the cup that year. I think they did win a second President's Trophy though. That was the fucked up thing. So they did end up getting another president's trophy, but regardless, they didn't make the uh, any real significant upgrades. Other teams did. They were a little banged up, a little beat up. The coach's message had gotten stale. As such, they uh, were no longer the top team and haven't been since, and have had a, a very elongated rebuild. Uh, Detroit as well. Um, Columbus, this is not even a, 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 like, you know, a fall from grace kind of rebuild. This is like a fall from mediocrity. Like you're going to go from mediocrity to crap here. And I think because of that, they have to be considered the losers of the trade deadline. Like there's a difference between not making the best possible move and being hurt by other trades. This was just, I mean, it is a disaster and I feel bad because, yeah, I think you're going to see a whole new change in direction in that team. Um, again, a guy like Tortorella, though, will probably find a job somewhere. I mean, who knows? Maybe even he takes over. Maybe they need someone like him in Toronto. I don't know. But regardless, I mean, he did win a cup. Like, lest we forget, John Tortorella has the exact same number of Stanley Cups as Mike Babcock. So, just saying. You know, just saying. Uh, anyway, I think we can leave it for there uh, for this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. I thank you all again for your continued and growing support. Um, if you would like to advertise, collaborate, anything uh, here on the podcast, please let me know. If you're interested in musical collaborations, uh, please reach out uh, either through the website, thesamelegitpodcast.com, or on either Twitter or Instagram, at the dude Sunny D. Anyway, I thank you so much for tuning in this episode. Take care and bye-bye for now.